This is the Bad Hops Podcast, a baseball podcast where we discuss everything but the box score. So if you're looking for Sean Dr. Doolittle's career saves or old John McDonald's gold glove qualifications, this is not the place. But if you're ready to focus on dirt dogs and dying quail, welcome. We're your hosts. I'm Jackie Micucci. And I'm Mark Butler. And today we are discussing baseball's best beasts. Welcome to Bad Hops. Jackie, I feel like this is the old-timey Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom episode. And I'll just be back here by the helicopter while you go out and touch all the dangerous stuff. How about that? (laughs) I'm going to go wrestle, you know, an alligator while you... uh, It was Stan, right? Wasn't it Stan who... uh... Did all the all the tough stuff with the animals. I remember was, Marlon Perkins. He was the white-haired the, guy, right? Yes, he was the guy that was clearly too old to be messing with wild animals. That's who the Florida Marlins are named after, I think. Well, the Miami Marlins now, sorry. That's right. From Mutual of Miami. Mutual of Miami. We're getting wild today. We're talking about animals. Because, of course, it's a baseball podcast. Why would we not have a salute to animals? You sent me something from, uh, I don't know, early in in the season of squirrels at Yankee Stadium. Was it? It was Yankee Stadium? I think there was a squirrel, yeah. A Yankee Stadium squirrel that ran onto the field as they do. There's always a squirrel. There's at least one squirrel per season. And then it becomes the rally squirrel. Like, it's got to somehow morph into something more significant than just a random animal that was just like, what the where am I? What's going on? And why am I here? And who are these people chasing me? (laughs) I'm not superstitious, but something happened that I don't understand. So it must be good luck. It's a rally squirrel. It's a rally squirrel. (laughs) I will say though, the one thing I'm going to bring this up now, I I watched a few videos of, of squirrels and cats, you know, running onto the field. It's just hysterical because like they're getting, you know, the, groundskeeper security are always running after them because they need to get them off the field. So what happens? A chase ensues because if you run after something, it's going to, it's going to take off. Right. So it like, instead of slowly approaching these animals and I get it, there's probably, you know, they need to get the game going, you know, get things moving. But if you, if you slowly approach animals, you have a better chance of catching them than if you chase, you immediately start running after them. Like if someone starts running after me, I'm going to run too. I'm not going to just stand there and just let you like run at me. So, and it's hysterical to watch them. It's like, I have a cat. You are not like trying to grab a cat. If you're running after good luck to you. And if you grab it, you know, you better make sure that you're like covered in like mylar or something. Is it mylar? Is that it? Kevlar, Kevlar, Mylar, the balloons. You don't want to be covered in Mylar. That you'd be in bad shape. Kevlar. You want to make sure you're you're covered in Kevlar. I've met your cat, but uh, and the only times I've ever met your cat is when I sit quietly on your couch for like two hours, and maybe she'll come around and yeah. still not want anything to do with me. And I, of course, I'm not going to reach out and and grab her and like you know say now you're here. That stuff doesn't work. And, you know, I guess maybe the other thing is animals can sense fear and maybe Mm -hmm. they can tell your team is losing. (laughs) And so they know they're going to exploit that situation and stay on the field a little bit longer. Maybe that gives the the, uh, pitcher more time to warm up. 
Maybe, maybe. And the other thing is there are all those little nooks and crannies that those animals can just scoot in. So it's like, good luck to you. Now it's somewhere, somewhere in the bowels of the ballpark <laughs> lurking. Now, do they stop the pitch clock if an animal appears on the field or do, does the, uh, does that count as a strike? Mm. Uh, or no, it's, it would be an it's automatic ball. ball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now the, the bases are slowly loaded as the squirrel will not exit the field. <laughs> I bet the rules committee has not thought that through and shame on them. Honestly. I mean, come on, what are you guys doing? You got at least two more years until robot arms. You need to game out what happens if a wild animal gets on the field. For sure. We are sort of staying away from, well, at least the cornered animals. Cause that's also kind of distressing when you see an animal that shouldn't Mm -hmm. be there and people are chasing after it. And then people are booing the animal and then cheering for the animal yeah, that animal is having the best time. I'm, I am I think as I've gotten older, I'm sort of like, let's just leave those animals alone. So we're going to stay away from bad situations. I think we're also, we do know that some birds have been uh, deceased mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. Uh, some incredibly fast pitches and things like that. We're, we're going to acknowledge it, but we're not going to sit here and be like, and then it just like feathers everywhere. Man, it was so cool. It's not. It's, it's gross. Yeah. It's gross. And honestly, if you want to watch people chasing animals, there's plenty of stuff on YouTube. You can watch a little, a couple of, couple of minute clip compilation of, of security running after animals of every ilk. And yeah, that's, that's all I have to say about that. I think honestly, until we get something a little more interesting than a cat or a squirrel, maybe a honey badger, that would be awesome. Yeah, I mean, I want to see something like a bear. What happens if a bear wanders onto the field? Good luck to you guys. Yeah, that that actually, please don't give White Sox fans any idea on what to, <laughs> to smuggle into the stadium and throw on the field at the yeah. first base coach. Yeah. Because they're going to do it. It's like, how did he get a bear in there? Easier than, than getting produce, apparently, these days. Well, so there is a storied history of animals in baseball, and it's not just funny nicknames, although I think we're going to touch on some of those, and it's not not just mascots. I think we're going to acknowledge some mascots, but then there's a lot of other sidesteps that we can take from there. And so we're going to kind of dig in today to the animal kingdom and how it relates to baseball, hopefully relates to baseball. I, You know, I say hopefully because... Every episode of Bad Hops is a little bit of a crapshoot if we can actually stay on topic or not. Fair. You know, I think that's the best bits of it, honestly. It's the beauty. It's the beauty of Bad Hops. The random tangents. It is literally everything but the box score. We do follow up on that promise every single episode. Yep. That's the Bad Hops promise. When we come back, Jackie, you're going to lead off, and I, I think you've got a couple different types of animals, and then I'm going to take you on a tour around the world. Mm. Let's get into it in just a second. Let's get into the animal kingdom, Jackie. You have cats and dogs living together? Well, sort of. I'm going to tell you the truth about cats and dogs, but I'm going to start with dogs because you know what? I am both a dog and a cat person. I am not one of these people who are like, I only like dogs or, you know, cats are my favorite. Like, you know what? I love all animals. Give me a cat. Give me a dog. I'm good. But I'm going to start with dogs and going to start with bat dogs. And no, that is not a new, is it 
okay, I'm gonna is D is Batman DC or Marvel? Batman is DC. Okay, I got it right. I thought it was okay. DC. Okay. So it's so I don't I don't get to sing the theme song. Na 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 bat dogs. Thank you. Very nice. So I'm gonna give you a little history first about bat dogs and how they came to be. Uh, let me name my sources before I, I get into it. Uh, there was actually, believe it or not, you know, Chewy, the website, the animal, yeah. uh, the pet, pet products, they actually have a, a blog, uh, Be Chewy. And there was actually a, a be really, Be Chewy, B-E dot Chewy dot com. And there was a great, yeah. I, I, I was surprised too, as I was doing my research, I was like, oh, wait, this article's on Chewy. Who knew? We are not sponsored by Chewy. I would love to be sponsored by Chewy. They're a great, great company. There was an article by Sarah Venchiera, who wrote a great little piece about Bat Dog. She was one of my sources of uh, for this piece, as well as I did a lot of digging on various teams' websites and their social feeds, as well as another uh, minorleaguebaseball.com article by Benjamin Hill. So those are my sources for Bat Dogs. Na 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 na. So in 1990. A minor league baseball promoter spotted a dog named Jericho delivering money and purchases to customers at a drive-through farm store in rural Ohio, of all places. Wow, this is like but the, the drugstore drug in Hollywood where like starlets are discovered. <laughs> a little bit, actually, it kind of is like a like it's like a 1930s, you know, Hollywood rags to riches story. Jericho, you've got what it takes. <laughs> So this promoter, he sees this happening, and who knows why he's there? I mean, what he's doing in rural Ohio. I mean, like, that's the other thing, too. Like, what is this dude doing there? Um, so he sees this going on, He and he um, strikes up a conversation with the dog's owner. When he's talking to him, he he, he comes up with this idea. He asks the the guy, the, the, the owner of the dog, um, would he'd be interested in maybe doing something like delivering water bottles to umpires at baseball games. Like thinking like, okay, like what's a way, like I see this dog, like go in there, like, you know, bringing products back and forth to customers. Maybe that'll work. Okay. This, I mean, inspiration can strike at any time and in, in right? the weirdest forms, just like, you know, once not too long ago, I said to you, Jackie, what if we did a salute to animals episode? <laughs> you did. And who knew this would be the form it takes? <laughs> who knew we would get to rural Ohio? <laughs> I I can't wait to go now. I, I want to discover my own uh, up and coming young bat dog. <laughs> Because of this, Jake the Diamond Dog was born. Wow. So they so Jericho became Jake the Diamond Dog, and he started traveling to ballparks around the country to serve as an honorary bat dog. And that actually that tradition continued from the 90s through until 2018, with three additional dogs taking on Jake's title over the years. Basically, Jake the Diamond Dog, he was he was a, like barnstorming. He was he was a utility guy. What would you say? He was going from team to team. So he was he was not just dedicated to one team. He would go through ballparks throughout throughout the country and he would perform his bat dog duties. I love that he changed his name as he became a star. I think it's it is like Jake the, the Diamond Dog. It's like the yeah. Lana Turner story. Well, of course, you can't call him Jericho. I mean, that doesn't. He's got to have a flashy name, Jake hey, the Diamond that, Dog. Is that Jake over there? Jake the Diamond Dog? 
Okay, well, this is amazing. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I was checking the math here, and I was like, man, if they're still making a dog that's 28 years old, uh, bring us. <laughs> yeah, no. So, no, sorry. no they're... sorry, kids, if you're listening at home, uh, <laughs> Jake is still alive. Somewhere. Sure he is. Sure. Well, one of the Jakes, I think, <laughs> yes. is still alive. A direct descendant of this whole Jake the Diamond Dog are the Trenton Thunder Bat Dogs. One of the promoters for the Trenton Thunder learned about Jake the Diamond Dog and decided they wanted their own Jake. So they approached the trainer and, you know, asked, like, what it would take to do that. And they they worked with a breeder. And the first of the Trenton Thunder Bat Dogs, Chase, was born in 2000. And he actually spent the first two years of his life on the road with Jake to learn the ropes. So when he got to the Trenton Thunder, he was in 2002, he was fully trained. So Jake actually, like, he has a whole legacy. <laughs> so, so Jericho, I'm going to call him by his real name. Jericho, his I, actual I, name. Because yeah. I feel like, yeah, we now know knew him back back in the back day. When. So he wasn't just a, a remarkable dog, but he was also a dog trainer. He was a, he was a dog who trained dogs. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That is a hard-fought apprenticeship, apparently, for for the uh, the other dogs in the program. Wow. Okay, this is yeah. I'm blowing my mind for any number of non-baseball reasons. <laughs> <laughs> So I will say most of these, like just as an aside, most of, so all, I shouldn't say most, but all of these um, bat dogs, they are a retriever of some type. And that's because retrievers, they, you know, they're used for hunting and they don't, they're, they're what we call soft mouths. So they don't get any teeth marks on anything. So when they retrieve the bats okay. and balls, there is no marking on it much as they would if they were retrieving a bird that you shot. So that's why they're, they're all a, a retriever of some sort. So just, okay. you know, for my animal enthusiasts out there. Chase, who was the first of the Trenton Thunder bat dogs, and the Trenton Thunder, they were the Yankees' double-A affiliate, and I did not realize they still weren't until I started doing research. They were the Yankees' double-A affiliate until 2021, and now they are a collegiate summer baseball team of the MLB Draft League. Oof. Yeah. Wow, that's a downgrade. It is, so I don't know what went on there. Back to Chase. His official name was Chase that Golden Thunder. Wow. Yeah, yeah, Chase that Golden Thunder. Very lofty name. That sounds like a racehorse name. It does actually, doesn't it? It does not sound like a, a like a dog name. So as I said, Chase debuted in 2002. And he did his shtick with he would retrieve bats and balls, um, mainly bats. And he'd do it the first couple of innings, bring them to the dugout. And then around the sixth inning is when he would bring a basket of water to the umpire. So this whole thing with bringing water to the umpires was, I don't know, it just, it's a thing. Who knew? Chase also hosted meet and greets with fans, attended community events, he, went he to school ho- assemblies. He hosted them. He hosted them. He did, yeah, so he, he was the host. Put, he put it on the calendar? <laughs> Put it on the calendar. He made the arrangements. He did the sign up. Genius. He contacted. He said the sign up. Jesus. It's Jesus. Sign up. Genius. Sign up. Jesus. That's a whole other thing. <laughs> Only on Sunday. Only on Sunday. And Chase was actually he had international um, fame. Like he even appeared on Japanese TV at one point. Oh, okay. 
Now, as I said, Chase was the first, and he then sired in 2008, he sired a litter of pups because you need to keep that tradition going. And one was trained to be his successor, and he was named Home Run Derby or Derby for short. So of course, like they do with minor league baseball, there was like a there was a fan poll and a contest. That was the name that won out. So that beat out Barky McBarkface. That beat up sadly it beat out Barky McBarkface, <laughs> which I personally would have chosen. Another one of the puppies, though, from that litter named Ollie served as a bat dog for the New Hampshire Fisher Cats. So this is like, you know, this is a whole family of of bats. That is dogs and cats living together. It is. It is. And then Derby then sired puppies in 2013, one of them named Rookie, who succeeded him. And now Rookie has been succeeded by his cousin Dash. Don't know why Rookie didn't sire any any pups, but um, he's been succeeded by Dash. Now Chase, Trenton's original bat dog, was honored June 4th, 2013 at Yankee Stadium by special invitation of GM, Yankees GM, Brian Cashman. And he was the first canine to be honored by the New York Yankees. <laughs> On July of that same year, Chase had a retirement party that was thrown by the Thunder, complete with a video tribute. And the first 2,500 fans received a Chase bobblehead. Aww. Dogs were encouraged to attend the game. Now, at this point, Chase was pretty sick. You know, he was pretty old. So he, he had actually had cancer and arthritis. So this was a way to, to say, to kind of say goodbye to him. So they had him in the Trenton Thunder offices for his final days. And a lot of people came, a lot of players and people came by to say their farewells. And according to Yankee spokesperson, Eric Lipsman, he said, quote, every single player on the Thunder came in and said goodbye. If you ever want to see grown men cry, there were a lot of tears when these pro athletes and top prospects were in there saying goodbye to Chase. And Chase just passed away a few days after his retirement party. But his legacy lives on. He's got his progeny. And also, in 2015, there was an ESPN E60 feature called The Family Business, focused on Chase and his family of bat-retrieving dogs. And it was also narrated by Chase's son, Derby. I do not know who provided Derby's <laughs> voice. It was just an hour of barking. It was just an hour of barking. Now, there are other bat dogs that are pretty famous. There's Finn the Bat Dog. Finn the Bat Dog of the Las Vegas Aviators, which is the AAA affiliate of the Oakland soon-to-be Las Vegas A's. Finn is a black lab, and he actually went viral in 2019. So there's a video of him. He's trying to do his job, which is, you know, one of the players, you know, throws his bat down, and he's supposed to fetch his bat, right? But I guess what happened, if you watch the video, it's actually kind of funny. The umpire throws the bat out of the way. And immediately the fans start to boo because they know that this is this dog's job. The dog is totally unfazed, tail wagging, walks over, grabs the bat, brings it over to the sidelines, and the crowd just like loses their mind. And he's just like happily wagging his tail, oblivious to the obnoxious umpire. If only all of us could be oblivious to obnoxious umpires. So Finn lives with his trainer, Fred Hansen, and he started picking up bats for the aviators in 2016. Finn also performs agility tricks, like jumping over chairs and fences, taking a seat on a portable fire hydrant on command. 
and even waiting at home plate for the batter to cross after hitting a home run. According to his trainer, before long, players started doing all kinds of stuff with Finn when they crossed home plate, including high fives and giving him a good scratch behind the ears. Aww. I know. Finn is such a beloved member of the team that when the Aviators moved to a new stadium in 2019, Finn got his own parking spot as well as a clubhouse with a TV and a shower to cool down between innings. Wow. Okay. Stinky dog, wet dog smell. Clubhouse, well, but probably, but Vegas is probably a little, little toasty at times there. Yeah, for sure. And now Finn is training his successor. He has an assistant on the field, his sister Lambo, who's a chocolate lab, and she will likely take over duties from Finn. So there's a lot of nepotism among these dogs. <laughs> yeah, clearly you have to know somebody to know somebody. This is like the Boone family. It really is. It really is. There's one more. It Brooks, he's the bat dog for the Frisco Rough Riders, which is the Texas Rangers AA affiliate. Did you say he's, Rough Riders? Rough Riders, indeed. <laughs> rough Riders. He's a Golden Retriever lab mix, and his signature move is leading a group of children in a victory lap around the bases after every team win. In fact, he's so good at his routine, he's able to time his runs perfectly. He and the kids touch home plate just as the fireworks go off. Wow. Now, Shooting off fireworks with a dog on the field, that seems terrifying to me. I'm guessing he's trained well. I'm guessing so. I mean, some animals, do. I, I actually had um, a dog, a, a Yorkie named Oliver, who was unfazed by fireworks and to the point where we would bring him out, there would be local fireworks in the neighborhood. People would be like, Oh, you probably want to bring your dog and didn't bother him. Only dog I've ever, okay. I've ever known not phased by fireworks. Our dog was also not phased by fireworks, but man, he hated Halloween. Mm. <laughs> hated <laughs> was, that doorbell. It was the, co it was the costumes. It yes. was the costume. A little bit about Brooks. Brooks is a guy dog dropout he had to change careers <laughs> because he spills water all over the floor when he drinks he's a messy drinker so that okay. that disqualified him for being a guide dog he uh is quite popular on social media as most of these dogs are like whenever these dogs are on there they get the most likes because who doesn't like a dog and brooks is officially known as the team's chief morale officer because he's great at keeping the mood up for everyone in the stadium so that's brooks the bat dog and those are some of the famous bat dogs that i uh found out there i'm sure there are others so if i did not name your favorite bat dog this is just a sample jackie i would give this segment 14 out of 10 and i would boop it again so thank you the, the, <laughs> the, they all sound like good boys to me they're all very good boys and there's a good girl in there too oh that's true i apologize to uh lambo well, let's take a little break. Let's just say we're going to go to the other side where the cats live when we're back. I did already say what we're talking about next. We just did dogs and they're all so adorable and I want to scratch them all. Um, but now it's cat time. That's right. Now we're at that cat scratch fever. That's right. We're going to get into a Another perfect segment. Ooh, see what I did there? Uh, I, yeah, I, oh. I, saw, I saw what you did there before you even did it. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Quick 
note, my sources here uh, include uh, several 2021 Denver Post articles by both Elizabeth Hernandez and Kieran Nicholson, a post by Kelly Brinegar on the I Heart Cats blog. <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting for a comment. <laughs> okay. Uh, you've already done, done the Be Chewy blog, so it, <laughs> anything goes tonight on the Salute to Animals episode. And also a Yahoo Sports article by Jack Bear. Jack Bear. Not talking about bears, though. Yeah, not talking yeah. about bears, though. <laughs> Back in April of 2021, during a game between the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Colorado Rockies, a large gray cat made an appearance on the field at Coors Field. First, he ran along a wall behind home plate. Then a few seconds later, he went to the third base dugout, and then he ran onto the field. According to the Yahoo article, he displayed an 80-grade speed <laughs> when he ran out, out onto, the, onto the field. So comparable um, to uh, Corbin Carroll or Bobby Witt Jr.? Is that what we're talking about That's here? what an, we're talking an, about. An elite speedster? An elite speedster. You know, they're low to the ground, cats. They, they, get, they get some good speeds. <laughs> so the cat ran all the way to center field, where it decided to sit down a few steps away from Cody Bellinger. <laughs> <laughs> And if you watch the video, it's pretty funny. So Cody Bellinger just sits there. He's just standing there watching the cat. And then A.J. Pollock walks over to the cat, which prompted the cat to take off, which is what you do when A.J. Pollock approaches you. <laughs> I, I thought cats like fish. I thought they did too, but apparently not A.J. Pollock. And he even walked slowly over. He didn't like, he didn't, you know, he didn't lunge. He just walked slowly over. He, he didn't and do a groundskeeper move then, essentially. No, okay. he did not. He did not do a groundskeeper move. You know, he was a little bit, a little bit more uh, slow and deliberate. Anyway, the cat takes off and it runs to the warning track where it was finally grabbed by a stadium employee who brought the cat inside. By the way, the cat, once they got the cat inside, the cat got away. I, I read a follow-up article, so the cat did eventually escape. Apparently, in the depths of Coors Field are a pack of feral cats. They're known as the cats of Coors Field, very original. And apparently they've lived in the lower Denver downtown area for years and have been there even before the ballpark was constructed. Wow. So, yeah. So they've been, so this is a, they've been around for decades, according, and we'll give you some more information here. According to the Denver Post article, Barbara Ford, who worked as a Denver meter reader in the late 80s and early 90s said a feral cat colony had lived in that ballpark neighborhood for decades. So she had a route that took her through the area where Coors Field was built in 1995. And she said she ran into and cared for the feral cats regularly. Said, I carried cat food and water for them in my car. There were dozens and dozens. It used to be a bunch of old warehouses in the area and they were all over. Once this Den these Denver Post articles ran, volunteers from Animal Rescue of the Rockies took notice and they decided that they were going to take care of the cats. So they saw the article. They were like, hey, what's going on here? We didn't know about this. What can we do to help? So that gray cat and the, the following stories prompted these feral cats to become an even bigger thing and also get taken care of properly. So they make sure the cats are spayed and neutered. 
And if they need medical attention, they'll take them to get medical attention and they get fed every day. And they live, they, they live, they're all around the ballpark. Um, Concession workers say it's pretty common to see the cats wandering around the ballpark when the stadium is empty because cats, you know, usually don't, especially feral cats, they don't really like people. A lot of the people who work there, their social media accounts capture pictures of the cats or great shots of them hiding under cars in the parking lot, sitting below stadium kiosks, sitting in the, in the empty stands. And you'll just see there's one of one chilling in a nook in the building facade high above the ground floor. The employees started posting photos of the cats. And then now we have a Coors Field Cat Twitter account for a very specific Coors Field Cat. It's a tuxedo cat, you know, the tuxedo cat, they're black and white cats, called Socks. So it's for Socks, but it's also for Socks friends. And it documents Socks and all the cats in Coors Field. So there are pictures, you know, there, there are great shots of of the cats being, you know, hanging out in the ballpark. I think, how cool is it? They get to live in a ballpark. I mean, that's kind of like the dream. Do they get all the bobbleheads before the, uh, the gates open? I mean, they probably you know. do. They, yeah. yeah. I mean, they get their, their pick, their pick of the litter, so to speak. Yeah, I saw oh, that one coming as oh, well. You did. You did. You did. So Socks actually had a litter of kittens and sadly only one survived. Socks has since been, been neutered, so she won't have any more kittens. But one of them, Junior, ended up having a story written about him and he um he got adopted and i think now his name is chip because the other cat in the family was dale so he's no longer junior so the cats of course field have like grabbed denver the you know the colorado rocky fans and the denver in the lower downtown uh denver area's attention and you know people take care of them and document them and they're living their best lives out in the ballpark so if a cat runs onto the field again, of course, field, you'll know why, because there's a whole pack of feral cats out there. I guess also with a fan base like that, they'd get a standing O for showing up too. Definitely. Excellent. Kitties, doggies, we're good. Well, in a little bit, I'm going to tell you about a maybe not as adorable animal that's also taken up residency in the stadium, but we'll have some other animals to buzz through first before we get there. Okay. Mark, you're going to continue with the menagerie, but you're going in a different direction here. But now that you phrase it that way, I have a menagerie a trois to talk about, or at Ooh. least of uh, three three different places. All right, this is a family podcast. Yes, it is. I it think. is. It's you know because they're all well. Most of the animals are adorable that we're talking about, but there, there's some stinky ones too. I want to talk about a team that has been the both the king of the beasts and the puniest of ponies. I'm talking about the baseball athletics. I don't know how to describe them now because they are a team in flux. They are. Uh, so I will I will probably default and just say the Oakland A's or the Oakland Athletics. But uh, depending on when you listen to this podcast, you might be like, wow, this is really old. He's talking about a team that doesn't exist anymore. I have always loved the A's elephant logo. You know what I'm talking about? That the, That big boy? I love, yeah, no, I've always been a, I've been a fan of it too. I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, I didn't know this. I mean, this was a long time ago. I was like, I didn't know this was associated with the A's. Yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's a jumbo dumbo perched on top of a globe. 
the real old school classic. And as I dug into this today, I realized just how old school it was. But I will also say I have never understood why this logo is associated with the, the team. Just to be clear, I love elephants. I am not trying to start a thing with elephants. For one thing, they never forget. So there's that. That's that's the same reason I try to stay on the good side of crows and Taylor Swift fans. <laughs> Both never forget. It's true. That's right. Not only will they never forget, they will remember. Mm. <laughs> but here's the thing. Elephants, as representatives of the Oakland athletics, elephants aren't athletic, not in a baseball sense, at least. Would an elephant defeat me at literally everything? Yes, absolutely. But could they steal a base? Make a leaping catch? Bunt? Uh, I don't think so. So why did the A's go all in on an elephant? Well, I'm going to tell you, but I'm not just going to limit it to elephants because we got mules, we got rabbits, we got sheep, we got catfish, we got marsupials, and much more in a little segment that I call A's is for animals. <laughs> well, to start, we got to go back to 1902. And of Jackie, course we do. <laughs> Jackie, after spending a lot of season two in the right here, right now, talking about rules and promos and, and things like that. Oh, it feels good to be back in the olden times. I can smell the coal smoke in the air and I can feel the typhoid starting to get into my system. It's beautiful. <laughs> With that said, I do want to point out that a lot of this information comes from the Baseball Hall of Fame, as well as a number of other sources that I will toss out as we get there. Okay. It starts in Baltimore because, of course, it starts in Baltimore. There was a guy named John McGraw who was a third baseman, a manager, which means he was a player manager, which means it's our first uh, callback to season one. Player managers, right. check it out wherever podcasts are podcasted. And he was a part owner of the brand new Baltimore Orioles, the AL version. He also played similar, similar roles in the National League Baltimore Orioles, who disbanded in 1899. More importantly, John wasn't just an Oriole, he was a dirty bird. He was known for aggressive play, which included intimidating the opponents and sometimes the umpire. There's a fellow named Ban Johnson, who was the American League president and one of the co-founders of the, the brand new, for I think maybe for 1901, American League. Ban Johnson was the opposite of John McGraw. He wanted clean, honorable contests. And he also wanted an AL team located in Baltimore. Well, to get to the latter, he had to work with John McGraw. And if you work with John McGraw, you're not going to get the former. You're not going to have clean, honorable contests with a, a dirty bird in there. Johnson and McGraw constantly butted heads until Ban Johnson banned John McGraw and suspended him for the balance of the 1902 season. So far, we haven't talked about the A's at all because this is a really weird prelude, but this is where the genesis of the elephant comes from. McGraw jumped ship for the National League after he got suspended and he joined the New York Giants. And like any good dirty bird, he went on the warpath, bad-mouthing Ban Johnson and the American League any chance he could get. The AL is a loser. Okay, sure, that makes sense. You've got a grudge against the, the guy that suspended you but then he also started bad-mouthing the philadelphia a's why i don't honestly know what the grudge there was 
But apparently this started a trend of picking on the A's, a tradition which continues to this day, even on the old <laughs> Bad Hops podcast. It does. It does. Why the A's? Well, John McGraw accused A's owner Ben Scheib of losing money and being deep in debt and said he had, quote, a white elephant on his hands. Mm. So a disgruntled Orioles player said some mean things, and that's how the A's got a brand identity? Okay, hold up. 1902 is too recent. Can we go back a little bit? Go back Please to... Please do. Please yeah, do. How about, how about 1873? Does that sound okay? That sounds more your, your speed, yeah. And, and no offense to, to uh, Charm City, but do you mind if we take a side trip to Siam? Boat? Well, <laughs> a slow boat? <laughs> well, I mean, the slow boat will get you almost there, but uh, yes. Hello, young lovers. I want to talk about the King of Siam. If you screwed with the king of Siam, he would get you back good. Now, other 19th century monarchs might put their foes to death, but our boy, he would punish them mightily instead. He would give them the gift of a white elephant. Hmm. Ah, thanks, your majesty. I always wanted one. In Siam, elephants were sacred. So that seems like a thoughtful gift. I don't know. I have never been in the position to have been gifted one. You may not know this, Jackie. I, you're, okay. pretty, you're, you're pretty with it, so you may, you may already know. Elephants take up a lot of space. Do they? And, yeah, and they're very expensive to keep. Oh, and et did cetera, I... cetera, et cetera, Sorry, oh, go ahead. And did, I, did I mention sacred? Because you can't let a sacred animal die. You can't kill them, and you can't sell them. So if something happens to those elephants... You've really angered the king and upset the karmic balance of things for your whole life. So, yeah. Oops, a white elephant. In 1873, the New York Times put it like this. The luckless recipient <laughs> knows at once his fate is sealed. <laughs> Which, honestly, I would go watch a movie if that's the final line before the credits roll. His fate is sealed. The concept of a possession with a lot of baggage, the white elephant, was circulating in the U.S. in the, you know, kind of post-Civil War era. And in fact, the gift exchange known as a white elephant was a, became a popular holiday event in the United States by the 1890s. What I did not know is that these are also sometimes known as dirty Santa parties. Dirty Santa parties? Dirty Santa parties. Or... Sounds is, like something that happens after at the end of SantaCon. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And they're also known as, and this is just for you, Jackie, Yankee swaps, just like the Ken Phelps for Jay Buhner trade. Oh, why did you trade Jay Buhner? Why did you trade Jay Buhner? Back to 1902. So Ben Scheib, who was getting dissed by model citizen John McGraw, absolutely leaned into this slam. He adopted the idea of a white elephant as a paragon of his team. I mean, that's pretty awesome, right? If somebody calls you a name and you're like, "Yeah, I'm just I'm going to go ahead and uh, I'm going to put that on a shirt." <laughs> that's right. You you co-op the uh, you co-op the slander, the you know the, the slur. Yeah. I, I believe the the term is owning it. So yeah. good for Ben Scheib. In fact, after the McGraw insult, the A's saw an increase in attendance, according to the New York mm. Sun. 136,000 fans over 32 games. This does not seem much like a white elephant condition. 
The 1902 A's ended up leading the league in attendance. They had 300,000 more than the Crosstown Phillies. That I mean, 300,000 is, that, I mean, that's kind of staggering. And that and, is a big number. Yeah, and they won the AL pennant. But before they got their actual flag, a fan sewed for Ben Shive, he sewed a blue pennant with a white elephant on it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think everybody agreed by the end of 1902 in Philadelphia, the elephant sure works for us. So the A's began incorporating it into logos, uniforms, programs, and more. If you visit sportslogos.net, which is one of our favorite sites, I think we always have a blast when we go on there. For sure. you'll, see, you'll see the elephant has been used by all iterations of the team in every location, even when the elephant had a bigger opponent than Jean McGraw, which I'll get to in just a, a minute. Eventually, the athletics started down the path that they are still doomed to follow, apparently, leaving town. Poor A's. Yeah, poor A's. I I feel like every time I wrote something uh, for notes here, I I kept writing poor Oakland, poor A's. (laughs) By the the mid-50s, the A's were sold and had moved to Kansas City. The elephant came with them. But it soon faced a challenger it had never seen the likes of before, Charlie O. Finley. Finley bought the A's midway in their tenure in Kansas City. To be fair, this guy loved animals, but apparently not elephants. In 1961, according to RoyalsReview.com and you get to cite Chewy.com, I'm going to cite Life Magazine. Oh, Life Magazine. <laughs> now there's a throwback. Indeed, indeed. You saw it here first. Finley drafted in a flock of sheep to graze on the right field berm right next to the scoreboard. They were so cute, Jackie. Well, I've got some photos that I'll send to you. They they even had little A's sweaters. Aww. This is I hope the bat dogs that you were talking about also had like a little like logo sweaters and stuff like that, because it's like, all right, the Kawhi factor of sheep in the outfield is already pretty high, but it's like, oh, oh they got the little sweaters. A lot of bandanas on the dogs, as you might have guessed. Well, you you were talking like the '90s, early 2000s, That's so yeah, so a little like kind of the Dan Cortez look, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> Not only did they have little sweaters, they had a shepherd. Now, the shepherd that I saw in the photo from Life magazine looked like a guy who had stolen a magi costume from a community <laughs> theater. <laughs> And he probably did. Yes. Get me a, get me a, what does a sheep herder look like? I don't know. Go to the church over there. They they must do like their Christmas crush every year. That's right. Even if we make the playoffs, uh, we'll have it back, you know, well before the Christmas season. So the shepherd also had a crook or a staff or whatever you call it. And he also had a little bell that he rang every time the A's hit a home run. You got sheep. That's good. What about a rabbit? I think kind of like in the uh, the bat dog style. I'm tell you about Harvey. Harvey was your friend. A ma- Harvey is he real? <laughs> well, <laughs> this Harvey is real. Okay, but I think he is based on the the the, the Harvey from the movie Harvey, starring uh, Jimmy Stewart. Is that right? Jimmy Stewart, classic movie. You should watch it if you never have. It's a good old old film. Oh, it's uh, the Harvey. It's just Harvey oh. here. Harvey was a mechanical rabbit, (laughs) a mechanical rabbit with blinking eyes and an A's uniform. So I'm like, literally put anything in a uniform and I'm going to be like, oh, my my heart is melting here. So it was a mechanical rabbit, a mechanical rabbit 
I need, are there pictures? I need to see what this oh, looks the, like. There, there are pictures. And I okay. wish there was video, but unfortunately from 1961, the mm. uh, film was too expensive because Harvey popped out of a hole from behind home plate holding a basket of balls for the umpire. Oh, there's video. Oh, there's video. Oh, there is video. I only found photos this week. And oh, I was like, story okay. of Kansas City Athletics mechanical rabbit Harvey. Okay. Well, this is, I, I, I literally can't wait to watch these videos because that is the weirdest thing. I grew up in Kansas. Now, I was born the same year that the Royals started. And I think the uh, when the A's left, Kansas City put such a bad taste in everyone's mouth. And they were only there for... 12 years, so I think most people just forgot it, but they had a mechanical rabbit popping out of a hole. I mean, <laughs> this is something. Okay. Wow. This <laughs> I'm watching this now. Wow. <laughs> it's so trippy. All and right. it's also so freaky because it's that old technology that's always a little creepy. <laughs> yeah, it's a, sort of like the haunted amusement park sort of vibe. The photos that I saw were kind of like it's a, you know, I think all like pop-up things from the 50s and 60s were sort of dead-eyed and creepy. Mm -hmm. uh, and Harvey, yeah, no offense, buddy. You look cute in the jersey, but you look creepy. Definitely creepy. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> Hopefully I can sleep tonight. We got sheep, we got rabbits. How about a Missouri mule? What if we named him Charlie O? Yep, the A's introduced a live mule mascot and accompanying logos which replaced the elephant that Finley didn't care for. You know what else Finley didn't care for? Kansas City. <laughs> no, he did not. Within eight years of buying the team and much saber-rattling about new stadiums or maybe moving to another city, God, does that sound familiar with the A's? Mm -hmm. Charlie Finley moved the team to Oakland. He took the mule but left Harvey behind. Poor Harvey. Well, let's move to Oakland. In 1968, the, the first season, the dominant animal in the A's organization was a catfish. Jim Catfish Hunter pitched a perfect game in May 1968, which is a heck of an intro to a new city. So, they, I mean, they'd been there for like six weeks, and there was already a, a perfect game. I mean, I knew Catfish Hunter was all that, but I didn't know he actually had that under his belt. By 1981, Finley was done, and much of baseball was done with him, and there's going to be more of that in a future episode because, my God, the Charlie O. Finley stories are well, uh, might yeah. be a, a two-part episode. Oh, by the way, Harvey also returned to an Oakland A's game in 2015. <laughs> wow, that's not creepy. Did they, would, no, was that they updated planned? him. They updated him. Okay, yeah. so, so it, it was planned. Yeah, it was, it was, it was planned. <laughs> uh, yes, it was the 25th, no, 28th, is it 2015? Anyway. Okay. Fairly recently, they brought him back. Not enough to save, <laughs> to save the team from leaving. Okay, I... I was really just, I was worried, uh, 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 this will be my second Yule Brenner reference of the episode, uh, since he also did play the King of Siam, but uh, that's kind of like, I was worried it was a Westworld uh, sort of <laughs> thing where like, I mean, that might... Harvey walked from Kansas City to Oakland <laughs> and it took him 40 years to get there, but by God, he's there and he's got a taste for blood. Oh, yeah. No, it was from 2018 for their 50th anniversary of the team, and they kind of put him on, it looks just like on a, on, on wheels. So it's not, it's not, it's not as creepy. It's just kind of, okay, whatever. Okay. But it's, so it doesn't, 
Yeah. It's, it's just it's just a funny fine. bunny. Though. It's just okay. a funny bunny, like with on a on wheels, like delivering balls. Nothing like the original, which is just really fucking creepy. Excuse yes. my, my language. <laughs> Folks, once you see a photo, and I will remind you, Jackie, that you told me this is a family podcast. But uh, yeah, once you see Harvey, you will know that Jackie's language is justified. It is. It just it really. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> Oh, in 1981, the new owner of the A's, Walter Haas, swiftly ditched the mule mascot because I mean, he was named Charlie O, after all, uh, and started making moves to reinstate the elephant at last, finally bringing him into the Oakland fold. Haas also built a series of great championship teams in the 80s, and what better way to celebrate greatness than by bringing an honest-to-God elephant onto the field? And do you know what that elephant was named? Harry Elefante. Wow, Harry Elefante. Maybe for any number of reasons, including like uh, trademark protection and uh, getting maybe permission and things like that. Harry was soon renamed Stomper and morphed from a legit, mighty, actual elephant to a slightly too cute, wimpy Nicktoons-looking mascot. Even though new Stomper still persists, the elephant balancing on the globe logo is still active too. Let's get to 2023 because it's a story about the Oakland A's. It's going to have a sad ending, you guys. Let's fast forward past those prime Bash Brothers years and the Moneyball era for Oakland. Current owner John Fisher has let things go to hell. He claimed he wanted a new stadium somewhere in the Bay Area, but it feels more like a pretext to leave Oakland, just like Charlie O. Finley wanted out of Kansas City. The Oakland Coliseum is a mess. It is the worst stadium that I've ever been in. Granted, it lost its main tenant, the Oakland Raiders, in 2020, but uh, a bad team plus a dreadful stadium became a self-fulfilling prophecy. This part should be a metaphor, but it's not. The semi-abandoned Oakland Coliseum is overrun with possums. <laughs> ATVUTV in San Francisco first reported a possum on the field during a game back in 2014. So I think much like the cats of course field. Um, <laughs> Not as cute. But, yeah. <laughs> but someone moved into the neighborhood a long time ago and you, people are just kind of realizing it now. Mm. The team has long suspected a family of possums nesting in the walls of the Coliseum. Oh, it's like, it, I mean, it just, it's like insult to injury. Yeah. Like I said, it should be a metaphor, but there's like legitimately possums living in the walls of a, of a MLB stadium. But this year, because maybe this is the, I don't, it's not the last year in Oakland, although technically I guess it could be. They might just decide and move to Las Vegas early because they're clearly burning bridges and not just the Bay Bridge. So this year the possum is going for it. It has taken over the visitor's broadcast booth. It, it first popped out during an Angels game, surprising the announcers, and then it forced the Mets announcers Gary Cohen and Ron Darling to relocate after... It had pooped everywhere pregame. The story of the A's begins with a noble elephant and ends with a poopy possum. Ends <laughs> <sighs> with a poop, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like the long rumored move to Las Vegas is now inevitable. So, Jackie, do you mind lending a paw and helping the Las Vegas A's pick their newest animal representative? 
I mean, it's got to be something showy and sparkly because it's Vegas, right? I'm open to ideas. I I have some, and I'm another unlikely source today. The Nevada Department of Wildlife is helping compile a list of native species. Obviously, I would prefer to keep the elephants. And, and I, maybe I they think, will. Yeah, I mean, I, an elephant is it's a showman, right? It's like a circus animal. I think it's very Vegas. I mean, it's either that or they could go, go back and Siegfried and Roy take a page from their book and have a white tiger. Oh, a deadly white tiger. A deadly white tiger. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't keep tigers as pets. I, I love that. And I guess technically if it resides in a Vegas theater, it, that is a native species or it's close enough. It's too tempting and too easy, but I'm still going to say it. Maybe a rat or a weasel in honor of the current ownership group. Mm-hmm. There was one, and I will post a picture of this too, the black-tailed jackrabbit, which has some of the weirdest tennis racket-looking ears that I've ever seen. But I think that might be a nice throwback to Harvey, although maybe Harvey can come <laughs> move to Las Vegas. <laughs> maybe Harvey will come. I mean, he made an appearance in 2018. That's true. I mean, they can make him into like one of those creepy animatronic figures they used to have. Like, uh, do they still do that thing in Caesar's Palace where the statues come to life every uh, oh, half hour I, or so? I, I Remember that? They do. Who has wakened me from my slumber? It is I, Zeus. <laughs> Or alternately, you could just put like a video poker machine inside Harvey's stomach. I mean, uh, why not? And he would be the most popular thing at the game. I thought a rattlesnake could also be uh, an option. But then I learned about something called a gopher snake, which is a non-toxic faux rattlesnake. It makes all the noises, but it doesn't actually do any damage, which feels like a metaphor for the current version of the Oakland A's. metaphor for vegas as well to be totally honest (laughs) that is true you mentioned flashy you have anything in mind i mean i guess a peacock other than the white other than the white tiger could be a peacock flamingo flamingo would also be good yeah flamingo uh how close is that stadium going to be to the flamingo hotel i think right there it's pretty far from the strip right because it's near red rock no the aviator stadium is by red rock um, uh-huh. And I think I think Oakland will play there out of necessity. Oh, the- so they're building. They're they're going to have a brand like it's going to be. You think it's going to be closer to the strip than the, the new stadium is supposedly going to be on the strip, which I think is just uh-huh. a nightmare waiting to happen. I, from a traffic perspective, that sounds horrible. Yeah, one of the most congested roads in in the country. It's like oh, let's build a baseball stadium like literally right at the. It would be at the corner of uh, where Tropicana. Uh, currently is so it'd be by the mgm excalibur mm-hmm. and it's like yeah sure let's just put oh a, wow let's okay. put a baseball stadium in there yeah all right and a small baseball stadium which is another weird thing i think they're talking maybe like a thirty-three thousand capacity okay so okay. I, I think they just assume no one's gonna come if that's the case don't move to las vegas I mean, the, so the Golden Knights, which is the NHL team, which has won the Stanley Cup, I mean, they're over by Red Rock, yeah, right? And now where are the Raiders? Where are they? Uh, they are right off of the interstate. And okay. so that would be kind of um, maybe about a half mile separated from the Strip. It's the interstate that runs parallel. Okay. Um, so, yeah, Allegiant Stadium is, it's not right in the thick of it, but it's, it is 
right there. It, it is, uh, it's less than two miles from almost anything you can name in Las Vegas. Okay. Now, but football, right? You only, what do you get? Like eight, eight home games or something like that. So football yes. isn't so bad. Hockey, they definitely have a huge local following the golden Knights. They've, they, they've come out swinging. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I'll be curious to see what happens with, with the baseball team. Oof, what a mess. The state of Nevada has approved financing for it. The, the owner of the Oakland A's apparently has given up on doing anything in Oakland many years ago. And it's just now obvious. It's like, it's kind of like a murder mystery where you add up all the clues. It's like, Oh yeah, he, he was out like years ago. So poor Oakland. Yeah. The poor dumb dog that nobody loved. And then it turns out everybody loved, but it was too late. Well, maybe they'll have new life in Vegas, but I do feel bad for the very dedicated Oakland fans that are out there. They definitely have gotten screwed. I think the only one that's coming out ahead is the possum because pretty soon they're going to have an entire stadium with no one in it. That's right. They don't want to worry about those Mets announcers. That's right. They can poop wherever they want. Mark, I think it's time to take the dog out for a walk. Woof. Well, the fans are heading home, the grounds crew is on the field, and we will see you next time at the ballpark. That's our pal Ron Lewis on the Stadium Organ. I'm Mark Butler. And I'm Jackie Micucci. And this was Bad Hops. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or account of this podcast without the express written consent of Bad Hops is prohibited. Unless you like us, review us, or subscribe to Bad Hops. Find us at, at Bad Hops Podcast on Instagram and everywhere else. Go Possums! Go to go.